Thanks for listening to Mosaic, a Jesus-centered communities podcast. Our goal is to help people experience a Jesus-centered life. You can find out more about us at welcometomosaic.info. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it so others can hear it as well. Enjoy the message. Would you agree with me uh, that God is a powerful God and that God is a great God? Can we agree on that this morning? Yeah? So would you agree that a powerful God and a great God would not spend any time making anything ordinary? Would you agree with that? Does that have to convince you of that? No, you got to know that, right? A great and powerful God, all he's capable of doing is making great and powerful things. Then if that's the truth, and that's the case, why are so many people choosing to live ordinary lives? Why are so many people who claim to be followers of Jesus, who claim to believe in this powerful, awesome, great God, living powerless and mundane lives? We're going to talk about that a lot in this series. And as we launch in this new series called The Third Person, we're going to be looking at the powerful Holy Spirit and something that I just, I think will encourage you. I can promise you as I stand here, I don't think there's been a series, at least since I've been here, that has been more prayed over by our staff, by myself, by so many right now. And we're just believing, God, would you just work in a new way over these next few weeks as we dial in on understanding who and what the Holy Spirit is and what he does um, we've made a commitment as a church this year to walk through our core values, and we've been doing that in the last few weeks um, as we went through uh, a series called uh, Full Color or Life in Color. Uh, joyful Expectation is the core value we've been working on. It's one of six core values. Let me just remind you or introduce them to you again. You may not be able to see this well, but you can catch it on our website. Um, we have six core values that help us drive us to what it means to help people experience a Jesus-centered life. That's our mission and our calling. That's what we believe God is this, that's our meat and potatoes. That's what we do as a church, is help people experience Jesus-centered lives. And the six core values, all year long, we're going to spend several weeks on each of them. We share what we found. Welcome home. We're going to be doing that one next, by the way, as we lean into Easter together. We love where we live. The Bible is our roadmap. The one we're on right now, we live with joyful expectation, and we practice radical generosity, as Ben prayed earlier. These are the values and the behaviors that we believe as we live and we embody and we walk in, not only will we more and more experience lives centered on Jesus, but others around us will be seen and drawn to that. And they'll be drawn to the freedom and life that we find in Jesus. We chose this year to start on We Live With Joyful Expectation as our first one. Here's what we mean by joyful expectation. You are not an accident. Your life has a purpose and we live in the power of grace and the guidance of God's spirit. And we do so with great expectation. Last week, Kirk wrapped up our first series, again, Life in Color, where we talked about the fact that black and white living is not what God had planned for us. He has life and life to the full. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, as it says in John 10.10. 10. But I have come to give you life and life to the full, or life abundant, above and beyond what so many are living. If we have such a great and powerful God, why are so many people who claim to follow him living just ordinary lives? Well, we're going to talk about the power of God and the power of God's Spirit and the guidance of God's Spirit over these next few weeks. Christianity believes not in three gods, but in one. But when we look in the scripture, there are three gods expressed. To give you an example that comes from the verse, verses that we call our Great Commission, like our mandate. This is what every believer on earth should be about. It's in Matthew 28. We go and we make followers of Jesus. We make disciples of all nations, everywhere. Our neighbor, all the way to the neighbors across the world. And we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in Christianity, it's often referred to as Trinity. There are three gods, 
but one God. There are three expressions of God, three persons of God, but they're all one God together. This is so hard to explain, but the best I ever heard it explained all the way back in college was one of my professors who talked about God being a person of multiplication and not a person of addition. What we want to do when we see this is, okay, one plus one plus one equals there must be three gods. No, no, no. God is a God of multiplication, and multiply just is powerful. One times one times one equals, math majors, one, which is so confusing in and of itself, right? But that's really a good way to kind of explain. They, they just work and powerfully together, but they're still one God. And we're going to talk over the next few weeks about the one called the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. My guess is um, many of you um, have heard about the Spirit at some time, and maybe some of us even grew up in church and know we've heard a little bit about it, or we've been in church a lot of years but we've never had a, or maybe you just are just dabbling today, we've never had a real biblical understanding of, of who the Spirit of God really is. And it's interesting because we are a culture, especially in North America, Western culture, we're a society that is perfectly fine with paranormal or spirit world stuff. I mean, if you look just at television shows that have dominated the airwaves over the last several decades, let alone movies, but just think of TV shows. A quick show of hands. I can't see the hands online, but you can nod your head, okay? Quick show of hands. How many of you have seen The Twilight Zone? All the way back in the 50s. Real quick, Twilight Zone, come on. All right. Not a whole lot of teenagers raising their hands on that one. Um, but Twilight Zone. Next one, Bewitched. How many of you have seen, or you know Bewitched? Yeah, you've seen some episodes of Bewitched. You know, she does the nose and all that kind of stuff. How about The X-Files? Remember The X-Files? Yeah, a bunch of us watched The X-Files. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That was the coolest one of all these, if you ask me. I thought that was a great show. Charmed? That is hilarious. Okay, there's about... 10 of you um, in the first service, and there were three. Nobody wants to own up to that one for some reason. Um, a little bit more recent, Stranger Things. How many of you? A lot of Stranger Things fans. That's really current. Uh, anybody watching WandaVision right now? Come on. Yeah, that's an amazing. If you think about all of those shows, there's an element of like a supernatural, almost like a spirit world or different. There's something paranormal in different dimensions, and we're comfortable with that until, for many of us, it comes to the religious world or the faith world or the spiritual world, the Christian world. And some of us kind of think on one end, is it Casper the friendly ghost? I mean, we don't quite have an understanding. It's like a three-year-old's, it must be Casper, right? And some of us are on the other end, and it's just like, it's full bore, jump off the cliff, man. It's crazy time when we think about the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit. And a lot of us are somewhere in between. We've grown up in church, many of us, or some of us explored this. All of us have been exposed to paranormal thoughts or different worlds, but we don't have a real good understanding from a biblical standpoint of the Spirit of God. These next five weeks, starting with today, would you just make a commitment to lean in with us? We're going to really try to understand what the Spirit of God is all about. And you're going to hear this phrase multiple times over this series. We're just going to scratch the surface. We're just going to be cracking the ice. There's so much about the Spirit of God, our great and powerful God, that we are just not going to be able to fit it all in five weeks. We're going to spend the rest of our time together, however long you identify with this church and, and participate in it. We're going to spend the rest of our time trying to understand the Spirit of God. But over these next week, we're just going to scratch the service together. Let me say this too. As a public speaker, and some of you do public speaking, one of the last things public speakers ever want to do is overwhelm the audience that they're talking to. I'm going to do that today. I, I, there's no way around it. As much as I don't want to, it's, it's like open the fire hydrant, put the hose on, and just go, I mean, it's going to come fast. 
and it's not going to come gentle. It's just going to come from the scripture. And that's because there is, again, so much. And we're going to look at, literally, I'm going to hit 24 different places in the scripture with close to 40 different verses in the next 18 minutes and 55 seconds. And so we got to go fast. So what that means is, and I say that unapologetically in the sense of, I believe this is the thing we need maybe more than anything is to come face to face with an understanding of who God is, what his spirit is like, how he works in us, and how we can access what he's offered and promised to us as followers of Jesus. So if you are at home, put the coffee down, stop the stove, whatever you're doing, sit down, get a notebook out, get a pen. I know it's hard at home to do this. Lean in. And if you're in here, I don't know if you brought a notebook or if you have an opportunity to write this down, Hang on, because fire hydrants open, and here we go, okay? We're going to try to really understand who the Holy Spirit is a little bit better after today. The first thing we want to do is give a working definition from the Bible of who the Holy Spirit is, and, and this is the tightest one we can get. The Holy Spirit is the personal, divine, and permanent resident in a Christian's life. Now, this isn't comprehensive. There's so much more to the Holy Spirit, but if we try to boil it down into a nutshell, if you really want to understand um, the, the person and the purpose of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is personal. He's divine, is God, and a permanent resident in the Christian's life. And as over the next few weeks, we begin to really understand more of this and then some about the Holy Spirit, my hope is that you will take this prayer. I'm going to give you a prayer over these next few weeks that I hope you'll be praying, and you'll just start to embody in your life as we understand who the Spirit is better. Here's the prayer. Be with me and live in me. Spirit of God, as I become aware of who you are, of your power, of your presence, would you be with me and would you live in me? Every interaction, every conversation, every difficult challenge, everything I celebrate, would you be with me and live in me? And he's as close as those words in your life. We're going to talk about some of that together. In fact, Ephesians 4 kind of captures this. In Ephesians 4.30, it captures this thought, don't grieve God. Don't, don't wound God. Don't, don't grieve or upset him. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. So don't take such a gift for granted. As we were singing earlier, this is the verse that came up on the screen reminding us of God is personal and he is divine and he takes up permanent residence in the life of a believer. Think about uh, this line, making, making fit for himself. If, if you've ever moved into a dorm or into an apartment or into a house or anything like that, you don't just take what the people who were there before left behind, or you don't even, a lot of times you go in and you want to repaint, you want to recarpet, you want to put new appliances, you want to put your furniture in, your pictures on the wall, your landscape sometimes. You want to make it your residence. And that's what the Spirit of God does in a very personal, very God-divine-like way. He moves into your life, and he is the new full-time resident. And on the surface, that might seem scary. That might seem intimidating. It's the greatest thing in our lives, it totally transforms and gives us life and hope and freedom in an incredible way. That's what the next several weeks are going to be about as we talk through this. He is someone who is in our life in a very real and very personal way. So let me go through a few things with you real quick. First of all, the Holy Spirit is not an it. I can't tell you how many times I've heard us describe that, and myself sometimes, or others, just, man, I, the, the Holy Spirit in that song, or the experience, or, it's, or, or it was a, a moment, a chill-induced something that we, ch no, the Holy Spirit is not an it, the Holy Spirit is a person. It's important to understand that, because that changes our theology on how we truly understand who the Spirit of God is. 
Spirit is not an it. It's not a force. It's not a nature. It's not just a mystical, electrical zap in your life. The Holy Spirit is a person. And you see this when you look all through Scripture. Again, just a small sampling, not comprehensive. But here's a look at, here's some of the the qualities or the personifications, the personalities, if you will, that the scripture talks about when it comes to the spirit of God. It, it says in Romans 8 that he has a mind. If you look through this list, all of these relate to you, to me, a person. The spirit of God is a person. He has a mind in Romans 8. He has emotions in Galatians 5. Some of you may know that's the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness. Those are what we call the fruit of the spirit because that's who the spirit is. And when we live in the spirit and the spirit lives in us, we become those things. The Spirit uh, comforts, it says in Acts 9. He teaches in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He can be insulted. Crazy. God of the universe, most powerful being on earth, can be insulted, Hebrews chapter 10. He can be lied to in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. If you don't know that story, I encourage you to read it. Not a good thing. Doesn't end well for them. You don't want to lie to the Holy Spirit. But he loves. In spite of that, he loves Oh, you see it all through Scripture, but in Romans 15, it talks about it. By the way, I just talked about the Holy Spirit being the most powerful being on planet Earth. Just real quick, when you think about the Trinity, where is Father God right now? On his throne in heaven. According to the Scriptures, God is in heaven. And where is Jesus? He's at the right hand of the Father in heaven. John 14, I go prepare a place for you. He is up there right now. Where is the Spirit of God, the third part of the Trinity? He is expressed in the believers of Jesus, the followers of God. He is a person, and he is the most powerful person on planet Earth. When you think about what we know about the Father, what we know about the Son, and how little we focus on the Spirit. We talk about spiritual life. We talk about spiritual living. But learning about the spiritual, spiritual uh, component of God himself living in and through us, it's the most powerful thing and something that we so often miss. Again, the Spirit of God is not an experience Spirit of God is not something you feel. The Holy Spirit is not some chill-induced moment that we chase after. The Holy Spirit is a person who knows you and wants you to know him and wants to live in you and live with you. Second thing, the Holy Spirit is your friend. The Holy Spirit is your friend. Come on, keep the pencil sharp. Stay tuned in. Keep dialing in. The Holy Spirit is your friend. Now, this can be a little bit foreign to us. The whole idea, it almost feels like this, like, Jeff, you're saying the most powerful being on all of planet Earth. We're talking about the God of the universe, God, Father, Son, Spirit. He's, wow, way up here, right? And now you're using friend on that same level. It feels like either you must be diminishing what it means that he is God, or you're really overstating what a friendship is. Does that make sense? That's what, I mean, if you think about that, the, the most powerful being is my friend. In fact, I would push you so far to say he is the best friend you could ever imagine or ever have. And it, from a biblical standpoint, it agrees, even if it's hard to comprehend, hard to understand and receive. Jesus actually talks about this in John chapter 15. You think about Jesus and, and raising from the dead and, and our life centered on him. Jesus says to his disciples, and he would say to us, I don't call you my servants anymore. I call you my friends and the relational component. And when Jesus says friends, it carries all the weight of when you or I say friends about the people who are in our lives and close to our lives. Jesus says this about himself. And then when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, look what Paul says about, again, the Trinity. May the grace of the Lord Jesus and may the love of God and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 
The grace that Jesus offers because of the cross. The love that God offers by putting this whole thing together in motion and allowing you to have life and breath. Experience those things. What's the Holy Spirit? The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That word fellowship is just such an old churchy word, isn't it? I mean, I grew up in a church where we had a fellowship hall. Anybody have one of those growing up? And so it feels a little archaic to me. Uh, There's a couple people on staff right now who are listening, and they know I've said, we don't use the word fellowship around here, do we? Hold on. Let's use the word community, family. It just seems so archaic. And they know I'm talking about it. It's cute. Uh, But fellowship is really a biblical word, and, and it's meaningful. Other ways to translate this are relationship closeness, or there's one Bible translation that uses the phrase, an intimate friendship. Man, can, to experience on an ever-increasing level an intimate friendship with the Holy Spirit, with the most powerful being in the universe, be with me, live in me. Can you imagine what that does to you? And some of you can, you've experienced steps in that. And too many of us, in spite of our powerful, loving, person God who is our friend, we've chosen an ordinary path, an ordinary existence. Think about what it's like to live this life in intimate friendship with the Spirit of God. It was fun this week. I was doing a lot of study on all this, and um, I got a couple paper cuts, literally, on my fingers from thumbing through books and uh, thumbing through scripture on this and all. And in Proverbs 18, 24, it's a verse that a lot of us know but we've always thought of the end of Proverbs 18, 34, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I've always thought of, you know, I've got three brothers, I'm one of four sons, but there's other relationships in my life that I'm even more entwined with and more in community with now than my brothers. It's probably talking about those friendships, right? What was interesting, and I hadn't seen this before, uh, several theologians referencing or suggesting that Solomon, when he wrote this verse, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Spirit of God. we got all kinds of friends and one who has unreliable friends and all that kind of stuff. But there is a friend, the Spirit of God, who is closer than a brother, who's closer than any friend you could have. Again, be with me, be in me in every moment of my life. And even with that, he knows everything about you. He knows more about you than you know about you. He loves you more than you'll allow yourself to love you or others to love you. He is just your closest friend. The Spirit of God is your friend, even a closer than a brother. Third one, the Holy Spirit is your helper. You hanging with me? Nope, I didn't get any response on that. That's not good. All right, I'm gonna start all over. Let's go back. Where was I? No. The Holy Spirit is your helper. The Holy Spirit is your helper. Jesus himself actually refers to this in John chapter 14. Look what he says in verse 16. This is when he's really talking about the Spirit of God, the the third part of the Trinity, for the first time. And he says, I will ask the Father. Again, all three of them are represented here. I, Jesus, will ask the Father God, and he will give you another helper. By the way, I didn't say this in the first service, so you're getting bonus today. Um, Another really can be there's two different Greek words for the word another, another. There's hetero and there's alo. Hetero, as you can think, is like heterosexual, another type, a different type. Alo is another but the same. And that's the word that Jesus used here. It's the same. In other words, the Father, the Son, and the, the Helper, the Spirit of God, they're all the same one. It's just another subtle reference to the Trinity there. I hope that made sense. Um, but anyway, I will give you another Helper to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God has numerous names like this all through uh, Spirit of Power, others all through the Bible. So he's clearly talking about the Holy Spirit. And he talks about him being your helper. The Holy Spirit is your helper. Now, if you use different translations, I've used the English Standard Version here, but if you use different translations, you'll notice that this word in particular is translated an entirely different word right there. 
It's because it comes from the Greek word parakletos or paraclete. Um, and it, when you see multiple translations, I'll give you some examples. Uh, some use the word helper. Uh, the old King James Bible uses uh, the word comforter. Others use the word counselor, defender, enabler. You will see the same word, parakletos, be translated multiple different ways in multiple different translations. And what that means is, not that they're a bunch of idiots, it means that the Greek word is so rich so weighty, so beautiful. There's so much in it that there's not a really clean English equivalent for it. I mean, it's a powerful word that Jesus uses here to describe the Holy Spirit. And the word parakletos comes from two different Greek words. The word para, which means to come alongside. Think like a paralegal or a para. If you have a special needs student and you have a para aid type of a person to help them, para means to come alongside. Kaleo, which is the other Greek word, means to debate or to argue. Um, so you've got to come alongside and argue. Paraclete or parakletos. That word altogether really tells us that there are times when the Holy Spirit, our helper, comes alongside and argues for us. Comes right alongside with all that you face in your life, with all the lies and the attacks of the enemy, with all the lies that sometimes we believe in ourselves. He is our paraclete. He is our helper. He comes alongside and argues and debates on our behalf. There are also other times when he comes alongside and he argues and debates with us. And I bet you felt that sometimes, right? When you become aware of something in your life that doesn't jive with the way God wants it to be, and you feel this uneasiness in your spirit, that's the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, with his tie on and his suitcase getting ready to take you into court and say, this ain't how it's supposed to be. And he's arguing with you a little bit because he's your friend and he's your helper and he loves you. Let me give you a couple of verses just to show a quick glimpse of what this can look like. Um, uh, debates for you is like in Romans chapter 8. Uh, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. That's not the way of God. We talked about live in color because he wants to set us free. The spirit of God testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Any man, any woman, any child, any race, any age, any continent on this earth that puts their faith fully in Jesus Christ, the scripture says you're a child of God. You're his sons and daughters. In fact, we call him daddy, Abba, father. And the spirit of God, suit, briefcase and everything. When you're up against the, the enemy and the lies that Satan tries to give you, and in this season, think about what 2020 has done for so many of us and so many that we love. I, when we've, I've talked intentionally and as compassionately as I can about how mental health has been hit so hard for so many people in these last 12 months. Some of you, it was just a residual carryover of what you've experienced for years. But some, it just is, it's just been heightened and amplified in 2020 and now into 2021 because of everything. In fact, I was just literally this morning, I saw an article talking about young adults in particular, how everything that's been experienced and the fears and the unknowns and the angst and everything, the identity issues and all of that that has happened, mental health is just running rampant. So a, a follower of Jesus who you are the children of God and the enemy wants to tell you your life is worthless. And by the enemy, I mean Satan himself. Your life is worthless. You don't matter. What are you contributing? Look, you can't get a job anywhere. Look, your own parents don't even love you. Look, your dad abandoned your mom and you when you were young, and this is why. And all those lies and those ugly things that the enemy wants to give you are paraclete, are parakletos. The spirit himself, our helper, stands next to us, suit on, briefcase together, and says, this is a child of God. 
our paraclete comes alongside and debates and argues on our behalf and guides back to what truth really is. Yeah! Isn't that amazing when you think about that? That's what's happening all the time in the spirit world. <laughs> that camera is not happy right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought, wow, that just went a whole different angle that I wasn't ready for. Um, anyway, okay, let me get back to it. So sometimes he debates us. Ignore the camera, Jeff, and everyone else. Um, sometimes the Spirit debates uh, on, on our behalf. Sometimes he debates with us. Let me give you a place where that's at. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? Now, if you know anything about 1 Corinthians, you know Paul is writing this to a church, a gathering of believers, who are living anything other than what a gathering of believers should be like. And he's trying to remind them, don't you know that your body is a temple? That the Spirit of God, who we said earlier, is personal, divine, and takes up permanent residence in the life of a follower of Jesus. Don't you know your body is a temple? Don't be doing that stuff. Don't be living that way. And there's times when the Spirit of God throws his suit and tie on, grabs a briefcase, and says, I love you enough to tell you, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be living this way. You're better than this. I've got a better way, not black and white living. I got full color. You want to live with joyful expectation. Live a different way. Live my way. Live the Spirit-led life. So as our parakletos, he's doing both of those all the time. Again, there are things in our life sometimes that we are allowing. I bet you can identify with that, and I can too. There's things in my life that I allow. There's things in my life that I, I've seen, or things in my life that I've said, or motives in my heart that, that they don't go in, in union with what God would want. And I bet that's true in your life as well. And if we were more and more aware of the power and the presence of our great God, the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, we wouldn't want those in our life. We wouldn't want what that costs us as our paraclete, our parakletos, our helper does that for us, reminds us, debates with us, argues with us, points out different things to us to help set us free. The last thing I want to say on here, and this is a whole different angle, the Holy Spirit is not weird. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is not weird. And I say that in a little bit of a playful way, but I say that in a real serious way because, again, I think some of us, even though we're familiar with shows that we like or movies that we've watched that deal with the supernatural, the spirit world, the paranormal, when it comes to the idea that God being a spirit living in me and around me and the most powerful being, that gets a little weird for us. And, and part of what contributes that, to that is the Holy Spirit isn't weird, but people are weird. We're kind of weird sometimes, and we just have to admit it. Sometimes people who who hunger for an experience or hunger for a gift, a spiritual gift, or hunger for some kind of a manifestation of the Spirit of God, get that put in front of the person of the Spirit of God. And we get a little weird when we do that sometimes. We're going to talk over the next few weeks about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It talks in the Scripture about that. That's talked about a lot. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? We're going to talk about that uh, three weeks from now. So I hope you'll be a part of it and we'll give as much clarity as we can from the Scripture. But in a nutshell, being filled with the Spirit just means your life gets flipped upside down by the new residence. And that person, that powerful presence, changes you from the inside out. The Spirit of God isn't weird. The Spirit of God is for you. He's, he's a person, and, and He's your friend, and He's your helper, and He wants to just set you free and, and guide your life. But sometimes we put other things in the way, like an experience for ourselves, or a manifestation, or we chase a gift instead of the person, the person who's who we chase after, and he's not weird at all. 
Um, how do you know? Here's a good question, a little barometer. How do you know if it's the Holy Spirit? Because you'll go to different expressions of faith or expressions of the church, and they'll talk about different manifestations. Well, how do you really know if it's the Holy Spirit that's involved? Good question, really easy answer. Does it point to Jesus? Does it point to Jesus? If it points to a man on a platform or a woman on a platform, it's not of Jesus. If it points to an experience or a chill or a zap that you get or something like that, it's not of Jesus. If it points to you getting credit or something that you just want to experience or some warm and fuzzies, it's not of Jesus. It's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will always, always, catch this, will always point to Jesus. And if there's something else that is not pointing to Jesus, it's not the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself actually even said that in John 4, I'm sorry, John 16, verse 14. He, the Spirit, he was talking about the Spirit, will glorify me. He will glorify me because what he will do is he will take everything that was mine and he'll declare it to you. Everything I've been teaching you about how to live, everything I've been teaching you how to sacrifice, what it mean, all, all my teachings, all the ways of my life, the Spirit will continue to guide. The Spirit will continue to point to Jesus. How do you know if it's the Spirit? Does it point to Jesus? And if you think about it, that's what our lives are supposed to be about as well. It won't be on the screen, but Acts 1.8, a lot of us know that verse. Jesus says, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes on you, Right? And then what's the next thing he says? And you will be a bunch of weird people. No, it doesn't say that. It says, you will be my witnesses. What does a witness do? A witness points back to the truth. Jesus, you will be my witnesses. You will point back to Jesus. How do you know if it's the Holy Spirit? Does it point back to Jesus? We're going to talk more about that in about three or four weeks during this series. So I hope you'll be a part of that. Okay, last, and I'm over on time. I'm almost exactly to the second where I was in the first service over on time. So we're going to be done in about four minutes. Here it goes, okay? What does the Spirit do? Can't answer that in six months, let alone four minutes. But I'm going to give you the first two things this week, and then I hope you'll join us next week and the following week. We're going to look at a lot of things that the Spirit does in our life. Just two quick things today. Pen sharpen, write it down. Here we go. First one, he makes the Bible come alive. Oh, and man, we are so grateful for that. The scriptures come alive when the power of the Spirit of God is present in our life. I would equate it to this. I've got some glasses in my office, and man, and if you deal with the same thing, the older I'm getting, the more I need my glasses more. And there's going to come a day, friends, when I'm up here and I'm going to have to wear glasses, so just get ready for it, because I can't do contacts. I literally, if I have to do eye drops, I have to land. I'm not making this up. It's embarrassing, but we're family, so I have to lay on the floor, and Leslie... My wife has to come and do eye drops while I do one of these things. So there is no chance in the world I'm ever going to wear contacts. So anyway, so eyeglasses. We've spent a lot of money on eyeglasses. Why? So we can sit the eyeglasses on a shelf and study it and learn it and be awed by it and be amazed by it. No, we take those glasses so we can see through it. Oh, this is the purpose. And that's what I believe the Holy Spirit does for us. It's the difference by myself by yourself, you can look at the glasses all day long. With the Holy Spirit, you can take the glasses and you can see things different. You ever have that moment in the scripture where it's like it's fuzzy, it's foggy, I'm not quite getting it. And then it's just like a light bulb, an illumination, an understanding. This is what God means here. This is what he means for my life. This is what he means for the world around me. That's the Holy Spirit. A couple of reasons is number one, he authored the scripture. The Spirit, did you know that? I mean, there's a lot of guys who had pens in their hands or quills in their hands that were writing all through about 40 different writers, 40 different pen people in the scripture. But the spirit of God is the one who truly authored the words that we read in this roadmap called the Bible. Um, it says that in a couple really important places, Second Peter chapter one, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man by his own pen, 
but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God authored that. You're like, well, that's just about the prophecy, right? Okay, well, I'll take it a step further. Look at what 2 Timothy says. 2 Timothy says, all scripture was carried along by the Holy Spirit. It was God-breathed and inspired by the Holy Spirit. So he is capable of making it come alive in your life because he authored this for us. And it's an amazing thing when we experience that over and over. Second thing is he wants you not just, to, again, to see it. He wants it, it to be something that you learn and understand the freedom and the life that comes from it. Um, look what Jesus said in John chapter 14. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I said to you. Again, the Holy Spirit will always point back to Jesus. How do we know it's Holy Spirit? Does it point to Jesus? But what he points to Jesus is all that he taught all that he was. This is why we center our life on Jesus. That's kind of like the mission point, the mission purpose of the Spirit to help you and me center our life on Jesus. Wow, that would be a cool mission statement for a church. It is a cool mission statement for a church. That's what we want to be. And the only way we can be that and experience that is the Holy Spirit teaching us, showing us, reminding us of what Jesus said. I love this verse, Isaiah chapter 30. Verse 21, whether you turn to the right or you turn to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. You ever experienced that in your life? Oh, you know it. It's not the angel and the demon thing on your shoulder. Follower of Jesus, it is the Holy Spirit continuing to point you to truth and life and to Jesus. By the way, I'm a huge Mandalorian fan. And with apologies to all of our Mando fans, the Holy Spirit is the way. This is the way, right? It's awesome. I love it. I can't wait for the next season to come out. Okay, last one is this, what the Spirit does. Again, just two things this week. We'll get more into this next week, so I hope you'll be back. Holy Spirit sets us free. The Holy Spirit sets us free. So many of us, why are we choosing an ordinary life? Why are we allowing the past? Why are we allowing pain? Why are we, al- why are we allowing bitterness or bondage or, or skeletons to own us? Why are we allowing the enemy's lies to deceive us and to wreck our hearts? When we have the Spirit of God, and the more and more we turn the keys of our life over to the Spirit of God, our friend, our helper, the more we do that, the more we know freedom. Uh, the Spirit sets us free. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, Now the Lord is a Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I've experienced that. Have you experienced that? I've experienced the opposite of this. Have you experienced the opposite of this? I want to choose this. I want to choose to follow the one who is so powerful, who is so kind. He's, our be- He's my best friend. I've often said Leslie is my best friend. But even beyond that, the Spirit of God is my best friend. And he's your best friend if you allow that. He is your helper, your paraclete, who argues for you and sometimes argues with you, all out of his love for you, because he wants to set you free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Right now, I know there's a lot of people who are maybe feeling alone. You may be feeling confused. You may be feeling broken or painful or, or isolated or just full of angst. You may have all kinds of lies that are starting here or starting out here, and they're leading you the wrong way. And I just want to tell you what the Scripture says over and over. The Spirit is what sets us free. The more we yield to, the more we allow the Spirit to guide our life, the more we experience freedom. You know, I, I was mentioning last week, um, what if, if you were here last week, I, I, I sat up here on a chair and I was just saying, what if God was wanting to do a new work 
in so many of our lives, individually and collectively? What if he was wanting to reveal himself a little bit more? What if he was wanting to paint the walls a little bit different and and move the furniture around and put some new carpet in our lives and new appliances and allow us to experience something new that only he can do, as we sang earlier? What if? And I want to take that what if and push way beyond that and said he is, he really does. He wants you to know freedom. He wants you to know life. And I know this about myself. I know that when I choose to live my own way and I don't choose to live a spirit-led life, I will do whatever I want to do. I will believe whatever I want to believe. I will say whatever I want to say. I'll have motives that are my own. When I don't do a spirit-led life, I'll think whatever I want. I'll have manipulations in me that get so dark and so ugly when I don't have a spirit-led life. Can you relate to that in your life? But here's the flip side. When I do have a spirit-led life and spirit-led moments and spirit-led days where the spirit of the Lord is, I find freedom. And I do what he wants me to do. And I say what he wants me to say. And I believe the truth that he wants me to believe and set me free in. And I love the way he wants me to love. And I talk the way he wants me to talk. And I go wherever he wants me to go. And I am whoever he wants me to be. The choice is up to me to live a spirit-led life with my friend and my helper guiding my life and setting me free or choosing to let this great God, this powerful God, kind of be pushed aside and do my own thing and live truly an ordinary, pain-filled existence. It's yours as well. So we go full circle. We go all the way back to our prayer at the beginning. Be with me, live in me. Be with me, live in me. And by the way, those are Jesus' words. Those aren't mine. I'm not making up that prayer. If you look at the end of John chapter 14, show you real quick. If you look at the end of verse 17, you know who the Spirit of God is, for he lives with you and he will be in you. Jesus makes this promise. We will not be left alone. We will not be forsaken. We have the Holy Spirit available to us. He will live with you and he will live in you. Let that be your prayer. Be with me, live in me. Thanks for listening to this week's message. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We invite you to connect with us. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do so at welcometomosaic.com slash give. Have a great week.